going to take a minute and honor all the veterans because tomorrow is Veterans Day. If you're a veteran, will you just stand up right where you're at? And uh, come on, church, let's just honor those that have served our country. We just thank you guys for your sacrifice and everything that you've done. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. So, a little update. I, I sound better than last week, and I feel better than last week. If you guys weren't here last week, I was, like, terribly sick, and I, I don't know what I was thinking. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of an optimist. You may not know that about me, but the glass isn't just, like, half full. It's always, like, 75% full. And so on Friday when I wasn't feeling well, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll be over it by the morning. And then Saturday I was really, really sick, and I thought, oh, this is the worst of it. I'll be over it and be good for tomorrow. And then Sunday morning I got up, and I was like, oh, dear God, what was I thinking? And, and <laughs> made bad decisions. But, but, you know, sometimes that happens doesn't it? Guys, guess what? Today we have something. We have Connect class happening today. If you're new here and uh, you want to get connected, um, this is your next step in getting connected around here. It's actually after the second service. And so you can hang around and get two services if you'd like, or you can come back right after. But we have free food. So we have lunch provided. We have childcare provided. All that stuff is ready for you. We would love to help you get connected um, around here. And uh, we kind of tell you the story of the church and where we've been, where we're going, and, and, and how it all fits together and how hopefully you fit together into the church. And the second announcement I have is this is love and laughter. And ladies event is coming up. It's a, that's right. Ladies love this thing. It is the last one of the year. And uh, I know that they are talking about um, uh, angels in the Bible because we're heading to Christmas and there's all this angels and Jesus and the manger and all that stuff going on. And, and so we're talking, they'll be talking about angelic encounters in the Bible. And uh, it should be a good, good time. And if you're visiting with us today, this is your first time here, I'd love to get to know you. I'll be hanging out in the lobby after church. Um, but you can also text in if you want. You can text in guests, and, and uh, there's a little online card you can fill out and kind of let you know we were, you are here, and, and we can make friends, and, and we can be, I like to make new friends. And so you can text guest in. And, and, and actually, we've upgraded our text system, so that same phone number is our main church line at, at the office. So you can actually save that in your phone, the 299-6435. You can save that as um, uh, in, the, in your contacts as City Church, and you can text in or call in. Either way, there's a, uh, the same number works multiple ways. I don't know how they do it. There is somebody behind the scenes that works magic. Um, but they have worked that for us, and so it's pretty, pretty, I'm pretty excited about that because um, I'm a nerd, apparently. <coughs> and then uh, also, if you came prepared to give this morning, this is a time you can do that. You can do it electronically by texting in um, or going to our website. Um, and if you uh, came with a cash or check, you know, drop it. there's drop boxes throughout the building um, that you can find and, and give as well. But guys, we are in a series called Stranger Things. Stranger Things, and, and there's a TV show that we were kind of inspired the series, and, and if you know the TV show and you've walked through the church, you can see like all these decorations, and, and we've been covering the different stranger things in the Bible and, and different things that kind of spawned from that, and, and so if you haven't seen the TV show, um, it's okay, you, you, know, you don't have to have seen the TV show to, to, um, to know what we're talking about because we're preaching out of the Bible, but, but we thought we would um, just kind of have a fun uh, decorations and stuff like that, and so, so this morning, I'm going to talk to you about a strange thing that Jesus did. <coughs> the strange thing that Jesus did. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up. And it's a, the book of Matthew, if you'd like. Or if you have your app on your phone, the book of Matthew um, chapter 21 is, is where we're going to be. Um, but what we're going to talk about is, is Jesus and, uh, and something that he did. And so he was traveling from one place to another place. And, and in verse 21, and we're just going to jump right in. So in verse number 21, it says this, In the morning... 
as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. You know, it's kind of funny, right? Like, like we don't think of Jesus as being this way ever, right? I, I always like to think of Jesus as, as like the, the kind and sweet Jesus and the healing the sick Jesus. And, and we have like this, this idea of who he is. And then all of a sudden you see Jesus, um, he's hungry, there's no food, and he curses this tree and it dies, it's like, doesn't it seem random to you? It seems like this really strange moment in the Bible. And so I got to ask, was, was Jesus hangry? Like, like, was he hangry? You know what I'm talking about. Like, when you have food, you're happy. And when you don't have food, you get angry. And it's like the hunger and the ang- Was Jesus hangry? I, I almost think that Jesus was hangry. <coughs> that, that he had this moment where, where he was hungry. He goes to get it and he's like, there's no food. And, and the, am I the only, Jesus and I are the only people that have ever done that. You get angry and you, you start to get, get mad at things, right? It's, it's interesting. This, this story is recounted both in the book of Matthew and in the book of, of Mark. And, and, um, and if you aren't familiar with the Bible, the, the New Testament starts out with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four uh, testimonies of, of Jesus' life and, and what had happened. And, and just like in normal life, if you have two people witness the same thing, they will see some different details from times time to time, which is why multiple witnesses in a, in a criminal case are, are so valuable because you see different angles. And, and so this is really interesting is that, is that the book of Mark, he tells the story and there's a couple of different details. One of the things that he said is in the book of Mark, he added this, he says, the figs were not in season. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that, that Jesus went up to a tree that um, had leaves all over it, but no figs, and he cursed it, but the figs weren't even in season? Like, is he expecting this tree to have something that it's not even supposed to have? Doesn't this seem, like, unrealistic? <coughs> like, like, you know what I mean? He's expecting it to have fruit, and it doesn't have fruit. I mean, I'm just telling you, this whole story is so strange to me. And starting to, so I, I thought, I'm going to take a deeper look in this, and I started doing a bunch of research on figs and fig trees and seasons, and because, you know, I, I'm a pastor, it's what I do. I start diving deep into this thing. And, and here's what I discovered. That even though there wouldn't have been ripe figs on the tree, and they think this happened in April, based on all the theologians and the smart guys, that, that, that even though there wouldn't have been ripe figs on the tree in April, there should have been what was called pagums. Pagums? I'm not sure. And, and it was written, so I don't know. And, and these were the buds that would eventually become figs. So there should have been the buds that eventually became figs on this tree. Just like with an apple tree, the apple blossoms eventually indicate that there would be apples coming in the near future. And so, but, so they weren't really like edible, but, but they would have been green and, and hard and they would have been starting to grow. But they were the promise of what was to come. Without these buds, there would be no figs. And so Jesus gets there, and there's, on it says only leaves. There's nothing but leaves on the tree. So there's leaves all over, but there's, there's no buds, there's no figs, there's no nothing. And so he gets angry at it and, and curses it and walks away. In fact, in the book of Mark, in Matthew, he says he, he cursed it, and it withered immediately. And Mark says they came walking by it the next day, and it was completely withered from the roots all the way up. So wait, did it happen immediately or, or the next day? I, I think maybe he cursed it and it started to wither immediately. And when they came back by the next day, it was completely withered up from the roots and everything. And the, and the disciples just marveled. They were like, how, how did this happen? How, how could 
how could this have happened? Like, like a tree couldn't just die overnight like that, especially one of the leaves, especially one of the leaves. Now, I'm not much of a green thumb. <coughs> In fact, if I try to grow anything, it typically dies pretty quickly. But I, I know enough about growing, enough about plants to know that if you have a tree that is covered in leaves, it's pretty healthy. It's going to keep living. It's not just going to die overnight. If you keep reading in the text, it says this, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the, <coughs> to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown to the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Oh, man, if you have faith. This, this, this verse is, is like this powerful faith verse. It's like if you, if you have faith, you can move mountains. But it's interesting. I've always looked at this and, and saw how Jesus doesn't say mountains. He says this mountain. He's pointing to a mountain. I, I don't I mean he has to be, right, this mountain, not, not mountains. He says, but if, if, if you say to this mountain... And, and scholars today believe that, that where he was standing between the two different cities and where he was at, he would have been right next to the mountain or the hill that, that King Herod's house would have been on. And they suspect, and, and we don't know for sure, but we suspect that he was pointing to that one. And here's why that's important, is that that was actually a man-made hill mountain that they built in order to be able to put the king's house on top of so he would have the perspective and the view. They, they, it's a whole other sermon. But, but they were like kind of... A lot of scholars are saying, I think that he was pointing to that hill or to that mountain when he said this mountain. And the implications of that is just unbelievable if you start to think about it. Anyhow, I'm not going to rabbit trail. <coughs> but Jesus, I got to stay, stay focused, you know, focused. That's right. I'm telling you. It's the first service, so you know I have to end on time. Second service, maybe I'll just rabbit trail all over that thing. Who knows? Jesus... This is what's interesting is Jesus performed food miracles all the time, all the time, right? Like, think about it. He turned water into wine. Uh, he multiplied the bread and, and, and the fish to feed thousands and thousands of people. Like, he, he performed food miracles all the time. When he walked up to the fig tree and saw that there was no figs, couldn't he have just been like, produce figs, and just like, bam, food, you know, figs everywhere. Wouldn't that have been a more impressive miracle? Right? Oh, man, he's feeding people again, and the whole city came over, and they ate their bellies full of delight of figs, right? Like, that's how I would have done it, but, but Jesus does it a little bit different. It's not that he doesn't have the ability to create the food. He's demonstrated that over and over and over again, but he's doing something else. Isn't it wild? I mean, he put the fish in the nets of the fishermen when he says, put the net on the other side of the boat. <coughs> So if he was hungry, why not just whip up a snack, right? Why couldn't he walk up to the fig tree and be like, give me a sandwich, you know? Like, he could have done something, right? He could have done something. Why condemn the tree when he could have made his own food? This is interesting. If you look, there's, the tree was covered in leaves. The tree was covered in leaves. <coughs> See, the leaves are where photosynthesis takes place. Leaves are where photosynthesis takes place. Leaves, they keep the internal sap stream flowing inside of the tree. The leaves help regulate the plant's temperature. This tree was covered in leaves. Here's the thing. The leaves support the life of the tree, but the figs support the community, the life of the community. 
The, the leaves support the life of the tree, but the figs support the life of the community. So the tree had plenty of things going on to support itself, but the tree wasn't doing anything to support those who were around it. It was a big tree. It had to have been. In order for Jesus to be walking down the road or down the path or then to see it and walk over, it had to be large enough. And it was covered in leaves. So it would have been the indication that it was a, a tree that was growing and healthy and, and there would have been something there for him to eat. But see, when we look at this, we're seeing Jesus passing judgment on something that was, he was taking up space. It was sucking up resources, but not giving anything back to the community. <coughs> Jesus condemned the fig tree because it was, it was viable, but it wasn't valuable. It was bustling with leaves, but not beneficial for life. It was alive, but it was not productive. See, now, myself and a few other distinguished gentlemen around here know what I'm talking about because my scalp is alive, but it is not productive Right, It is alive, but it is not productive. There are very few follicles that grow out of this alive, thriving scalp that I have. This scalp, will, if I cut it, it will bleed. If I poke it, it will have pain. Every bald man knows that you don't have that first line of defense. So when you're about to hit your head on something, you don't have the hairs that's to warn you. Every, every bald man's like, yes, I know what you're talking about. And you gash your head and you hit it hard and harder than most, at least I think. And, and so you, you, you have this thing that it's alive, but it's not productive. It feels pain, it bleeds, it, it does things, it, it, it sheds skin, it's, it's growing, it, it's, it's there. In theology, there is this concept that was developed by St. Augustine. And it was expanded upon by the likes of Martin Luther and, and Karl Barth. But this concept is this. It says, homo incurvitus in se. And that's a Latin expression. And it means this, humanity curved inward toward itself. Humanity curved inward toward itself. It refers to the mindset of focusing on oneself rather than focusing outward on God and the community. For example, in, in Luke 12, there's, there's a story and Jesus is talking and, and the farmer who wanted to build bigger barns for himself instead of starting a community food bank, see, he was curved inward towards himself. The unrepentant thief crucified next to Jesus. He asked for an undeserved stay of execution. He was curved inward toward himself. In Acts chapter 15, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas they convinced the church to change its policy towards Gentile believers because the first Christians were curved inward toward their Jewish heritages. This is a theological concept that, that says that being curved in is a proxy for sin. You see, when we are focused on ourselves, we become self-preservation. We start to, to look at this. In fact, our culture is full of it. Which is why the rise of the selfie, if you look at people's social media feed, the percentage of selfie photos that are on there, People love to look at themselves. The photos that, that stand out to you from your past oftentimes are the ones that have you in it. When you flip through the things, and, 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 you know, and there's other people that too, but maybe your kids, maybe, maybe the things that are valuable to you. We're always thinking about ourselves. And it's our human condition. 
It's our natural position. It's the thing that, that is, is born inside of us. And, and, and it's, it's something that if we don't fight against it, it will come against us. <coughs> From birth, we're focused on my needs, my wants, my way. Anyone with children can, can relate. The terrible twos or, or terrible threes, depending, or terrific twos and threes, depending how you want to look at it. When you look at the little ones, it's not, no, it's mine. You know, and the little ones are, they have a hard time because they wanted everything my way. And they start to say no. And they, they have this will that rises up. And it's 100% self-preservation and, and self-centered. And as we grow older, we, we, we tend to mask it a little bit, don't we? We tend to masquerade. We tend to dress it up. We, we realize that in order to function in a society with other people, we cannot be 100% focused on ourselves. <coughs> However, we get glimpses into this through how we behave online. We make plans around our comfort and our choices about the future. We see it in the lack of attention we give to the least of those among us. Like narcissists, we frequently too in love with our own image to look up and around us. See, in that light, the fig tree, the fig tree that sustained life for itself but not for the community, was curved inward towards itself and was a symbol of humanity's sinful condition. So when Christ condemned the tree, he was pointing to his eternal purpose to take away our sin. You see, in condemning the fig tree that was alive but not productive, Jesus was sending a signal that he came to save a curved in world from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. <coughs> and when Jesus was talking about false teachers, he told us that you can identify them by their fruit. So what's your fruit? Have you ever been a fruit inspector on yourself? Have you ever taken an honest inventory and said, what is the fruit that is growing out of my life? Is all the fruit that I produce just for me? Or am I doing something that is now providing for those around me? Because the temptation is to produce valuable fruit and to think to ourselves, this is valuable, but then to consume it all 100% ourselves and not be able to share it with those around us. And the Bible says you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And so Jesus' reaction when he came to the fig tree that was full of leaves but didn't even offer the promise of figs. Remember, there, there didn't appear to be any buds and his words were this, may you never bear fruit again. And we're told that it withered up. The tree died. As Christ followers, if you're a Christian here today, if you're someone who's following Christ, it's not enough just to have good-looking leaves. It's to put on an external show of our righteousness. Jesus talked about it in this way. He said, he talked about when he spoke about people who were like bowls that were clean on the outside and dirty on the inside. He talked about coffins that were shiny and pretty on the outside, but on the inside was death and 
decay. You know what he called people like that? Hypocrites. And the thing is this, is that people on the outside, they don't know what's going on on the inside. This is the thing, is, is that in order for you to examine the inside, it's, it's you and Jesus. It requires a one-on-one relationship and a, and a moment of honesty with, with, with the Lord. God, what's going on on the inside? <coughs> so there's, three, there's a few things I want to point out from here. Number one is this, is the leaves don't count if there's no fruit. The leaves don't count if there's no fruit. In Luke 6, it says a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs never grow on thorn bushes and grapes on bramble bushes. And Jesus wasn't talking about trees, though. He was talking about those who would choose to follow him. In Luke 13, it says this, And he told his parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking, seeking fruit on it and found none. Apparently there's a problem with fig trees. I don't know. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I, keep, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and, and put on manure. You see, Jesus was saying, He was condemning that fig tree. Jesus was saying that it was taking up space, sucking up resources, but not giving anything back to the community. It was not consistent with the eternal purposes of God. In like manner, we have been blessed to be a blessing, but if we only have leaves and no figs, we only sustain ourselves. If we become curved inward, then the outcomes will not be good. (coughs) So what does it mean? In this text... Are we just leaves or do we have figs? What's the fruit that's coming out of our life? My hope is that you would do an honest analysis and say, God, what's the fruit that's coming out of our life? Have we succumbed to the natural gravity of becoming inward focused? It's a wake-up call that, that the church must do what it has been called to do and not just what it wants to do. Number two is this, is we embrace all of Jesus. We embrace all of Jesus. Sometimes we want to cherry pick, don't we? Like, I just want to identify with this part of Jesus, but not that part of Jesus. Like, I just want to, oh, you know what I mean? Like, I just like, I like this part. I like the peace side of Jesus, but I don't like the table flipping part of Jesus. Like, I, I like this part and that part. In fact, there's this movie called Talladega Nights, and, 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 and in the movie there's this, this clip where they're sitting down for a family dinner, and, and Ricky Bobby, who is a, a, a NASCAR driver who has had wild success and millions of, you know, he, he has this whole prayer, and he starts praying and thanking God, and, 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 and it's this exact thing where the whole family starts chiming in on the kind of Jesus that, that they like to pray to. In fact, I have a little clip. Can we roll the... Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good. 
so that God will let us win tomorrow. Your tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Ricky, finish the grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! We like baby Jesus, like in a manger Jesus. We, we like, we like to, to picture him just, just little baby sweet cuddly Jesus. We like the Jesus who said, peace be still. You know, I really love the Jesus that gave the woman at the well a second chance. Because golly, you know, I could handle a couple second chances every now and again. Like, I, I like that Jesus. I like the Jesus who honored the widow's might. Just, just put that little tiny piece to God, and he's excited. And if we're honest, we want a Jesus who treats us with soft hands and low expectations. I want a Jesus who, who carries me gently and doesn't expect anything from me. He's going to do everything for me. He's going to pave the way so that I can walk on pillows. He's going he's gonna to move the mountains, right? We have the faith that's going to move mountains. We think about a Jesus who wants to make everything perfect for me. And, and, and if you're not careful, your theology about who God is and your viewpoint of who he is, you can turn that inward focused thing that we all have a tendency to do. We can turn Jesus into as if he is all about us. And that's not what the Bible says. In fact, we should be all about him. We should be all about him. And what does God want for our life? Because I can tell you that God has you here on purpose, for a purpose, to go do something, not for your benefit and glory, although you may get a little bit of that along the way, but, but it's for his benefit and his glory. Amen. Right? So, so Jesus isn't all about you. We should be all about him. See, Jesus is kind and loving and forgiving, but he has these expectations for our lives. Like, like he wants us to be the light in the world. And you don't know what light is until you've experienced darkness. You don't know what freedom is until you've experienced bondage. You don't know what, what, what joy is until you've experienced pain and suffering. It's a package deal. And if you're going to be light in the darkness, that means you must take your light into the darkness and let it shine. Amen. He expects us to walk by faith and, and not by sight. And it's easy to stand up here and preach about walking by faith and not by sight, but when the, when the rubber hits the road, when you really have to do something in life and you're at this point where you're at the stepping off point and you're saying, I have to walk by faith and not by sight. And when my eyes tell me one thing, but I know God is telling me something else, do you have the guts to take the step of faith that he's calling you to take? <coughs> He expects us to love the unlovable. Forgive the unforgivable. What they did to you was wrong, and they don't deserve to be forgiven, but God yet still commands us to forgive. 
and to seek those who have become invisible. You see, he expects us to be his earthly agents that bring lost souls to him. See, this text reminds us that our concept of Christ and the formation of our Christology must be totally inclusive of who Jesus is and not merely a a mental projection or a social contract. Because if you cherry-pick the Bible to only support the verses that that you want to feed you to make you feel better, if you're only saying, I'm only going to take this part and this part and this part, the Bible doesn't have control. God doesn't have control over your life you're effectively telling God that, no, I have control over what you said. Number three is this. We must stay outward focused. Outward focus. (coughs) If the natural gravity of humanity is to be inward focused, we must actively work to stay outward focused. We have to fight it. We have to work at it. The natural gravity of every organization, whether it's a church or a business or, or, or a nonprofit or, or a club or, or any kind of organization, when you get a group of people together, the natural gravity of that organization is to become insider-focused, to cater to the, mean, to the needs of those who are here today without regard to those who are not here yet. You can watch it all the time. The businesses that start to thrive, they start to have success, things start to happen, and then the staff starts to say, well, but I like it this way and I like it that way, and they start to make policies and changes that cater to those who are already there rather than those who are not there yet. Churches do the same thing. Churches become insider-focused. We start to think, well, this is what I want. I mean, I'm here. This is my church. And I'm not saying that we don't have that, but but there's a temper, there's a balance between being insider-focused and outsider-focused. <coughs> Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, are, are, are we a seeker-sensitive church? And, and I said, well, I, I don't really know. What do you mean by that? Because it conjures up images for people who are in the church world uh, of, of different types of things. Are we sensitive to those who are seeking God? I mean, yeah, sure. But when you go look at, there's a movement of seeker-sensitive churches that are out there that, 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 that have catered so far out on, on, the, on the, uh, that one side of the spectrum that they don't even play worship music anymore. Their sermons are, are mere uh, motivational speeches to help people feel good. Guys, guys we're, not, we're not a seeker-sensitive church. We're a gospel-centered, outreach-minded church that we will always sing songs that worship God. We will always preach sermons about what the Bible has to say, who Jesus is and how we follow him. We're an outreach-minded church. We, we, we must resist the gravity to become an insider-focused church and an insider-focused organization. You and I must personally resist the gravity of becoming insider-minded in everything that we do. <coughs> I've realized that I don't have to stand up and preach a sermon that says, think about yourselves from time to time. Because we have no problem considering our own personal needs. But are they tempered? Are they in balance? Do they fall right behind the needs of what Jesus is calling you and I to do? Has our needs risen over the top of what God's call for God's call in your life is? Because that's the gravity we must fight against at all times. It's interesting. You see, this is why we need Jesus. 
because left to our own devices, we will become fully narcissistic, self-focused people. Jesus came to save us from sin, save us from even ourselves. Sin is like this disease and we're born with it. It's like a, it's a spiritual disease. Just like you think about the flu is a disease. See, sin has different symptoms. You can easily point to you know, addiction or you can easily point to you know, someone who's angry or abusive. The person that gossips, the person that's jealous, the person that does this and that and the other. You see, sin has these different manifestations of the disease that comes out. Just like a flu. You have the runny nose, the, the packed up sinuses, you got headaches, you got the shakes, you got the fever, the nausea, the diarrhea, the, all the different symptoms that start to come along with the disease. The disease of sin comes out in different ways and one of the ways it can come out is that we can become so self-focused that we become all about us and we forget about God. This is why Jesus came. This is why he died on the cross because he died on the cross to, to take care of sin once and for all, to give us the power to be able to defeat sin. God defeated sin. He defeated it on the cross and he gives us the power to overcome sin. This is why Jesus came and he died. <coughs> he brought us the cure for this sin disease. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you that, that you came to earth, that you lived a sinless life, that you, that you died on the cross, and you paid the price for our sin. God, more than that, though, God, we just thank you that, that, that you beat death and hell and sin and the grave, God, and that you rose again to bring us new life. God, I just pray that as we come forward from this place, God, that, that we would take an, an inventory of our soul and say, God, am I producing leaves but no fruit? And God, would you help me to produce the fruit? Just like the parable of the, of the vine dresser who said, give me a year, let me see if I can get some fruit off of this tree. God, I am asking, give us the chance to bring fruit off the tree that you've given us. Our lives would have fruit everywhere that we go. You might be here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never put your faith in him. You've, or, or maybe you at one point did, but you've walked away. Today's a day where you can renew that commitment or make that commitment to follow Jesus. And following Jesus is as simple as A, B, C. A, you got to admit that you're a sinner. B, you believe that he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And see, you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord. So this morning, if you want to make that prayer, if you want to make that commitment, say, today's the day that I'm going to make a decision. And from this day forward, I'm going to start living for Jesus. Right here, right now, here's what we're going to do is we're all going to pray. All the believers here, we're going to pray so that you don't have to pray alone. We're going to support you. But if you're in that position, you need to pray this prayer with us and mean it from your heart. So here we go, church. Will you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe you are the Son of God. I confess you, our Lord, that you died on the cross and rose from the grave. And you paid for my sins. 
Today I choose to surrender everything. Today I choose to follow you. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with those who made a decision. Listen, I want to know about it if you made a decision to follow Jesus. You can talk to me in the lobby afterwards, or you can send a text message into the office and just say decided, and we'll help get you connected with some resources to help you on this journey. But church, come on, will you stand with me? Let's sing one last song before we leave this morning.